I'm going to invite you to John chapter 8 this morning. John chapter 8 is where we're going to be together, and we're continuing in John chapter 8 in a section of Scripture that we have really been following along in the life of Jesus for a number of weeks because uh, Jesus is at a, a place where he is he's celebrating a festival known as the Feast of Booths. And at the Feast of Booths, there's a particular reason the Feast of Booths exists, and, and Jesus, in knowing the purpose of ex- existence, he focuses on one idea related to the Feast of Booths to drive this point home uh, to the people of Israel. Uh, and, and the reason I think Jesus does this is because Jesus wants us to understand in, in the Old Testament especially, every system of worship that was established for the Jewish people was was intended to be a foreshadowing of what Jesus would ultimately accomplish for us. Meaning, when, when you read about the temple, or you read about the idea of Sabbath, or, or law, or priests, or even these holidays, the, they're not to be an in and of themselves, but they're a picture of something greater. And Jesus wants us to understand that today as we look at the Feast of Booths, as he highlights one word. And, and what Jesus wants us to think about this morning is this idea of freedom, or, or living free. Jesus wants you to live free. And you see that in, in John chapter eight, verse 31, look at this verse with me for, for just a moment. It says, so Jesus was saying to the, those Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. What Jesus is very, very clearly saying in this moment is God wants you to live free. Jesus wants you to live free. This is kind of like his, his William Wallace brave heart moment, right? Freedom. That's what, that's what Jesus is saying in this passage of scripture. And when we, we recognize what, what Jesus is saying here, for some of us, maybe even for all of us, there should be a, a, a part of us that just wants to cling to the statement and ask the question, how do we live free? Because when we think about walking in this world, many of us, if not all of us, are weighed down by something, right? There, there, we, we walk with guilt, we walk with resentment, we walk with shame, we walk with anger, we walk with a lack of, uh, of forgiving towards others, and we we might need forgiveness ourselves. And so we look at a phrase like that and we think about living free. How, how does someone even begin to live free? And what does Jesus mean um, in this passage of scripture when he calls us to this freedom? And I'm glad you asked, right? When you look at this section of scripture, Jesus in these moments, after he gives this statement, he, uh, the, 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 the Pharisees and the religious de- leaders, they do what great religious and uh, leaders and Pharisees do. They complicate things. We tend to do that as people too. I, I, I like it. When, when Jesus speaks, Jesus says some of the most profound things in the gospels, very concise, very short. But then when you look at Jesus, what follows Jesus' statements, um, we tend to complicate it as people. And Jesus gives this wonderful statement in these, these two verses, verse 31, verse 32, and then the religious leaders open their mouths. <laughs> and they tend to complicate it. And, and in this section of scriptures, what we find is, is the obstacles that we as people find, uh, find in living free. And so when we think about what it means to live free, what, what this passage first identifies for us is four obstacles to living free. And number one, I would say this, it happens in verse 33, but number one is we can't live free when we don't recognize our need to be freed. It's kind of profound, right? It's hard, it's hard to, as a person to, to uh, know what it means to live free when you don't even realize that you need free to begin with. But that's where the Pharisees start with this, that, that, that Jesus comes in a statement and says, uh, the truth will set you free. And look, look what they say in verse 33. Then they answered him, 
We are Abraham's descendants and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? This is one of those, are you kidding me kind of moments. I think Jesus, Jesus would be here. Uh, Jesus is saying, look, I want you to live free. And Jesus is not just pulling this out of the sky. He's like, you know what I want to talk about today? I woke up and I feel like my theme word for the day is freedom. You know, I just want to talk about freedom. Jesus doesn't just pull things out of darkness and just randomly speak about them. Jesus is being very intentional in why he chooses to talk about freedom in this moment. And the reason he's choosing to talk about freedom in this moment is because the Feast of Booths is intended to highlight highlight freedom. This is like the 4th of July. I, I, I told you a few weeks ago, because of, of when this holiday happens, uh, the Feast of Booze happens at the end of the year. It's really like a, a series of American holidays rolled up into one. It's kind of like the 4th of July, Thanksgiving, and Christmas all together, because it's a religious holiday that the Jews are told to, to celebrate in Leviticus. They're supposed to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to celebrate this at the temple. So there's a religious aspect to it. And, and then on top of that, it happens right after the harvest takes place. So everyone's collected all of their, the produce from the land. And so it's kind of like Thanksgiving. You got all your food and wealth because it's an agricultural society. And, 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 then, and then it's like the 4th of July because this holiday is all about freedom. It's to recognize that God comes before his people and he brings them out of slavery in Egypt and he calls them into the promised land. The whole point of this holiday is to recognize how Israel went from being slaves to being free. And after Jesus makes this statement, they look back at Jesus and they say to them, we've never been slave of anything. And it's as if Jesus could just look at this moment and think, I'm, I'm talking to a room of foolish people. There's right? <laughs> a bunch of, you know, I don't want to say it there, but, but it's, they, they completely miss what, what the intentions of this, this holiday is all about. And, and they have forgotten where God has brought them. And so there's, there's some irony to, to this moment. But you know, guys, when I think about the idea of freedom, and what it means to be free. And I think here in America, we, we call ourselves the land of the free and the home of the brave, right? But, you know, I think even in our understanding of freedom, there's confusion. When we often talk about freedom, I don't think we really describe the fullness of what freedom is about, I think we're, we're very good in describing what the beginning of freedom is about, but we don't understand why we've been set free, or we might be a free people, we don't understand how to always live free. And there's a difference in between being freed and living free. In fact, uh, in the American Heritage Dictionary, I put it up on a slide here just so you can see it. And what I mean, the American Heritage Dictionary describes freedom this way. The condition of not being in prison or captivity. Well, and don't get me wrong, I love not being in prison or captivity, right? Like if I, you know, when I, when I think about the process of living free, I first need my freedom in order to, to live free, right? So not, not being in prison or in captivity is a great thing. But, but when you think about what that means then for living your life, that's not really still much of a life. Like it's good that you're not there, but what are you? And that's what it means to understand, uh, to, to live free. It's more than just being set apart from something. But it's also about being for something. It's about asking the question, what from and what for? Does that make sense? I mean, how many times in life do you, have you seen someone that maybe they've been set free from a bad relationship only to find themselves in another bad relationship? 
or you're set free from an addiction only to find yourselves stuck with another addiction. Just because you've been freed doesn't mean you're living free. And so the question then becomes is, how, how do we live free? Like, if I gave you this kind of an illustration, if I, if I went to a junkyard and I decided, I'm going to buy me a plane, right? And I go to a junkyard and I, I set a plane free from a junkyard, but then I say to you, and I'm going to drive it to work every day. You would look at that, that would be a little bit ridiculous to see coming down the road, right? But, but is that plane really free? Like, if I, if I pull it out of a junkyard, but I just use it to drive down a road, is that plane really free? And we would say, see that and say, no, that, that plane is not free because that plane is not intended to be driven on a road. The plane is free when it's in the sky. Or, or, or what if I give it a more living organism illustration? What if I said, uh, yesterday I went to Red Lobster because that's where the best biscuits on the planet are. And and when I was in Red Lobster, my heart was drawn to the little guy in the cage. You know, the little lobsters they keep in the in the aquarium when you walk in. And I said to myself, you know what? I'm gonna buy this lobster. And I buy that lobster and I set that lobster free. But then I go home with that lobster. And I decide, you know what, I'm a little hungry. And that lobster finds itself in a pot on my stove. That lobster was set free, but is it freed? No, why? Because it's not living its purpose. Uh, someone might argue, well, it was freed in the sense that it was created from my belly, right? But, but, but that's not free. When a, when a plane drives on the road, that's, that's not freedom for a plane. A plane is intended for the sky. That's not the purpose of the plane. When the, when the plane is fulfilling its purpose, then it's free. When a lobster is fulfilling its purpose, that's when it's free. And guys, the same is true for you and me. Just because maybe you have been freed or you live in the land of the free doesn't mean you're living free. And it's not until you live for your purpose that you're truly living free. And all of us were created for a purpose. And that purpose is only found in God. You were made for him. And you're not living free until you walk with him. But you can't do that until you recognize your need to be freed by being with him. And this is where, this is where the religious leaders are in, in this story. When Jesus comes before, he, really just the Jewish people in general, and he says to them their need to be free. They're ignorant to the fact that they need freedom. Because they don't recognize that they're not living for the purpose for which they were created. And and so we can't live free when we don't recognize our need to, to be free. True freedom is living God's intended purpose for your life. Number two, the obstacle they faced is this. You can't live free when you seek freedom from the wrong place. Sometimes in life we recognize things aren't as they should be and we go pursuing things for which we could find our intended purpose or freedom. But when you, when you seek that freedom in the wrong place, you aren't truly free. Really, you might be blinded further to bondage by not recognizing that you aren't free. But when you find your freedom in the wrong place, you're, you're not really free. And look at this in verse, verse 33. This is what you, they say. They say to him, or they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is that you say you will become free? So what the Jews are saying is, we've got no problems with where we are. Do you not know who we are? 
And, and the, what they present in order to demonstrate the fact that they're free is their pedigree and their religion. They're like, uh, maybe you don't know who we are. Let, let me just show you the list of how great we are. We're God's chosen people. Do you not know who our dad is? Our dad is, is Abraham. Can I, can I just say real quick, um, God doesn't care about your pedigree. Or maybe I'll say it this way. God doesn't care who your daddy is. God cares about where you are. And I said, um, just, well, God, God cares about where your heart is. And this is what the religious leaders are doing here. They're, they're saying, well, let me just show you why we don't need to be free. I, I want to just show you how great I am. And what they do is they provide a list. Religious people are good at providing lists. It's like asking the question, well, what makes God love you or what makes you so great? And religious people instantly want to just provide the list. You want to know how amazing I am? I'm better than that guy and here's why. I was Abraham's son. We're God's chosen people. If anyone got it together, we've got it together. We don't need freedom. Go to those people over there because we've got all that we need. Don't you know who we are? Laundry list. We tend to do the same thing as people. Uh, we kind of mask it a little bit different, but let me just say it like this. If someone comes to you and says, what, what makes you of value as a human being? What makes you worth anything? Our tenant, or sometimes we might ask it like this, so what, do you, what do you do for a living? <laughs> What's your life about? We tend to want to measure ourselves by our accomplishments, don't we? That's why we seek power or fame or money or beauty. We think those things make us worth something. But what becomes the problem with those things is if you find your value in what you do, you'll always find someone that can do it better. Or maybe one day you won't be as capable of doing as you thought that you were or at some point as you had been in life. Power becomes weakness and beauty fades and wealth can vanish and Position can diminish. And if you find your identity in those things, one day when you don't have them or if you lose them, what is communicated to you is that you're worthless. And can I just tell you, because activity isn't intended to determine your identity. Your identity is intended to determine your activity. Does that make sense? Let me just say it like this. You as a human being, your worth isn't determined on what you do. Your worth is intrinsically given because of who you are. And this is where the Jewish people are with Jesus in these moments. They're puffing their chest out because of their pedigree, their religion, their laundry list of what they think makes them great. And therefore, they see no need for the rescue. But what Jesus is helping them understand is what makes you great isn't what you do. It's who you are. And who you are isn't given to you by you. It was given to you by God. Your intrinsic worth is your value, and therefore your identity should determine your activity. Belonging to him, being made in his image, should be reflected in your behavior. 
We're not here to prove anything to God. Religion will come to God and and give you this laundry list but and show you what they do. But people who have been set free don't find their freedom based on what they do. They find their freedom based on what has already been done for them in the Lord. And in that identity will then point me to my activity, how I walk in this world. So number two, you can't live free when you seek freedom from the wrong place. Number three is this, you can't live free if sin owns you. Look at this next verse in verse 34. And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. Now, no one likes to be called a sinner, right? Like, um, sorry if uh, you feel insulted this morning, but (laughs) the Bible says that we all are. And and you might just say, well, how do you know I'm a slave to sin? Let me just say, when you leave today, do me a favor, prove me wrong and just don't sin anymore, right? If you're not a slave to sin, then you should have no problem walking out and never sinning again. Let me just tell you, 1 John says this as well. 1 John says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And so what John is saying, anyone who believes that kind of garbage, like they can come out and live perfectly, just doesn't have no concept of of life or God. There is no truth in them, right? Don't don't even listen to that person. Um, It's impossible to not sin because in our nature is a sinful nature. We are all slaves to sin. And what sin does is destroy relationships. You want to know why you have any problem in any relationship in this world? It's because of sin. And sin separates you in relationship. And sin causes distance from your relationship. And the same is true with your relationship with God. Sin creates distance. I, I like to use the illustration like this. I, I am a father. I have four boys. I love all of my boys. And, and, and sometimes in our relationships, things aren't always perfect. If, if sin is there, there is distance, right? Doesn't mean as a father with my children, I ever stop loving them. I always care for them. That will never end in relationship to them. But sin has this tendency of, of pulling you apart. And when, there's, when there is no sin relationship, you are closer together. So the less sin, the more intimacy and the more sin, the less intimacy, right? And the same is true in your relationship with God. But here's the problem is that unless we've been forgiven, we have no relationship with God. That's why Jesus came. Our sin separates us from God. The Bible says it like this, the wages of sin is death. And and, and death doesn't just mean you're going to go to a grave and be buried one day. Death means separation. Jesus paid for that separation. And so what Jesus is saying here is before God, there are two kinds of people. There are sinful people and there are forgiven people. And Jesus wants you to find that forgiveness in him. Why? So that you can know him to live free. It's not just what you're free from, but what you're free for. And you're free from something, but you're free for someone. And when you live with him, relationship to him, you're living your purpose. And in your purpose, you are free. We don't like to talk about sin. It's not an uncomfortable topic, is it? Like if I said to you today, tell me your sin. What was the last sin that you did? We don't typically like that sin. We don't like to be exposed. We like to be a proud people. Sin doesn't like the light. Sin likes the darkness. We tend to do those things when other people aren't around and don't like to talk about those things, right? But But the reality is when you bring it to the light, that's when you find healing. 
I mean, that's what Jesus teaches us from the beginning of Genesis. When Adam and Eve first sinned, could you imagine that? Like, you're the one that does the first sin in this world. I mean, I don't know about you. I try to think about what I would be like in Adam and Eve's situation and not, not fully having a complete understanding of all of that God is and his grace. Like, I, I think I would also do the same thing with them. I'm, I'm naked and all of a sudden I'm like, I'm naked, so I gotta run and find some fig leaves, gotta hide from God. I just screwed this up. He's gonna kill me, right? But what does God do? He pursues. He calls them out into the light. Adam, where are you? He forgives. God, God forgives. Part of the other reason I think we struggle with the understanding of sin is we confuse sometimes worldly sorrow with godly repentance. I mean, sometimes when we think about sin, um, what we often repent of or don't like about our sin is that we get caught, right? We don't like the shame of it. We feel bad when it gets found out. But that's different from godly repentance. Worldly sorrow is different from godly repentance. You can feel bad when you get caught, but what God desires for you is, is not worldly sorrow, bad that you get caught. What he desires is godly repentance, meaning you agree with God because you see your sin the same way God sees your sin. And you turn from that and you embrace him. It's not about just getting caught. It's about carrying the heart of God towards the things that we do. <clears throat> and the other thing is, I'd say the final thing that I think we often struggle with is when we think about sin or one of the reasons we don't talk about it is our picture of God is skewed. We talk about sin in life and if you grew up in a religious environment, what we think often about God is God is this figure who just sits up in heaven with this long, beautiful white hair and this big beard and these ripped muscles and he waits for you to screw up so he can zap you in the rear end with a lightning bolt. And we think all that God wants to do is tell us how bad we are. And that's not what this passage says at all. God, God is not there just to send lightning bolts to your hind end. Like, that's not God's purpose. What God says in this passage is that he wants you to be free. And what that means is free from your past. Or what that means is to set every, every encumbrance in your life that, that has held you down and realize Jesus wants you renewed in him to place it at the cross so you can leave it behind and walk in that goodness and run with Jesus. That's, that's what God wants you in your life. He doesn't want you to feel guilty. He wants you free from that guilt so you can run with him because you were created for that purpose. God isn't interested in you running around feeling bad. You don't do anyone's service running around and feeling bad. God, God's interest is for you to let that go so you can live for what he's called you to. Is for, you're from what but for what, right? You're from that past of darkness so you can be for the light for which you called in, in Christ. And so when you understand that picture of sin, it's not just to come and cast judgment, but it's to recognize in our life what it is I need rescued from so that I see my need for Jesus and I run to him and I run in him for the rest of my life because in Christ there, there is grace. Number four, you can't live free when you reject the only one who can free you. You can't live free when you reject the one who can free you. Verse 35, now the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you're seeking to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak of the things which I have seen my, in my father or with my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you have heard from your father. You can't find freedom 
until you trust in the one you're made free for. And Jesus is helping them recognize that. He's saying, look, you may be in the house. You may be in the house of Abraham, but you don't belong in the house. That's what he's saying here. And he's using this illustration of slave and son. And what he's saying is, look, in Jesus' day, when there were slaves, slaves could belong in a home. But slaves weren't given the rights of the family. And what it means is when the father would die, the inheritance would go to the son, but the slave would get no inheritance. And what Jesus is saying is like, you might be in the home, but you don't have the inheritance. I have the inheritance. It belongs to me. And because it belongs to me, if I give it to you, you will be free indeed. If I give it to us like like this as an illustration, um, just because you own a basketball jersey, doesn't make you an NBA star, right? Just because you own an instrument doesn't make you a rock star. You may not even know, not, you may not even know how to play it, <laughs> right? So, so just because you have something doesn't mean that you're a part of it. Just because you come to a church doesn't mean you belong to God. Do you have Jesus? That's what Jesus is saying. Rather than embrace me, you're killing me. You don't understand what I've come for. You know, I, I wish I had time to dive into this whole section of scripture because when you leave from this, you see things get very tense because after Jesus says this to them, they go after Jesus's mama. They start talking bad about Jesus's mom. Then Jesus turns back and says to them, don't talk about my mom. You guys are the devil. And then they turn back and they're like, oh yeah, you've got a demon. It gets pretty intense in this conversation. But, but I, I want you to see this in verse 56. This is a very, very pinnacle moment in this section of scripture. Because this answers the question, how do I really know I can be free from all that Jesus is saying? How do I really know if I put my trust here, it's going to happen? And I, I want you to know this. It's possible to be free because of who Jesus is. Look at verse 56. Your father Abraham was overjoyed that he would see my day. And he saw it and rejoiced. So the Jews said to him, You're not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham. And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Therefore, they picked up stones to throw at him because, but Jesus hid himself and left the temple grounds. So here's what he's saying. He talks about knowing Abraham, seeing Abraham. They're blown away by this. They're like, Abraham? Yeah, like you have to be like, I don't know, a couple thousand years old to see Abraham. How in the world do you see Abraham? And here's how Jesus says, I've seen Abraham. I'm God. He says, I am. I am the self-existent one. The name of God in the Old Testament, Jesus says, that's me. I know Abraham because I made Abraham. I was there before Abraham existed, and I know Abraham now. And the Jews get mad. And what they want to do is kill Jesus for blasphemy. So they pick up stones to kill him. Jesus makes his absolute claim here. It's like this. How do I know the promises of God are true for me? Or how do I know these promises are true for me, I should say? And the answer is because he is God. He's God. He's able. All things are held in his hands, so everything he says to you is true. He made you for him. So how do we live free? Let me just quickly say this for us so that we make sure we have this understanding. How do we live free? Um, Verse 31 gave us the answer right in the very beginning. Verse 31 verse 32. How do we live free? 
I want you to recognize um, just because you've been freed, if you've been freed in Jesus, doesn't mean that you're living free, okay? And the reason I want us to see this is because Jesus puts this statement with a condition. Look at this, verse 31. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, if, if, all right, so it's, so it's possible as a Christian, uh, I think, to even, even believe in Jesus, but then turn right back to the things that held you in bondage. So how do we live free? It's important to understand that this, this statement right here, living free has a condition. If you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So how do we live free? Well, number one, uh, recognize it has a condition. But number two, I'll say this. Living free begins with trusting him. That's what he says in verse 31, right? Right in the middle. He says this to those who believed in him or believed him, right? They haven't believed in him yet, but they've believed him. And what that means is they're listening to the teachings of Jesus. They really like what Jesus is saying. So they're starting to believe what Jesus is saying, but they haven't fully committed to it yet. So uh, what Jesus is helping us understand is, look, there is this place in your life that you don't simply just know who he is, but you've decided out of everything in this world that you could put your trust in for your identity. It's the one who made you where you are intended to belong. It's the one who came for you where you're intended to belong. It's the one who gave his life for you. That's where you're intended to belong. It's not just free from something, but you're free for something. So there's this trust, this this believing in him. Living free is trusting in him. You were made not for something, but you were made for someone. Um, as a church, we have what we call core values here, and we like to use our core values for the purpose of creating a culture among our body, right? And, and the first value we have that precedes all of them, know him. Know him. If you don't know him, you will never live free. He's the one that made you. That's the purpose for your life know him. Paul said it like this. I love it in in Philippians chapter three. He describes himself as he says, the Hebrew of Hebrews, the Jew of all Jews. And then he says this, though he lived that kind of life, he says this, I have forsaken it all for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Verse eight to 10. That's how Paul describes his life. It's an abandoned all of that. He counts it as dung for the purpose, one purpose, to know Christ Jesus. Know him. May your soul yearn to know him. We're not showing up this morning for the purpose of doing things. Uh, we're, we're showing up for the purpose of knowing him, to worship, to connect to our God. Because our identity will then determine our activity. But it all has to start with, with knowing, knowing him. And the next is this. Living free is learning from him. And that's what he, how he describes it right after believing him. He says, if you continue in my word. It's learning from him. This idea of connecting to God in his word that he communicates. He continues to speak over my life and in my life to direct me down the path for which I am called in him. Because this world will scream at me with all kinds of things. But the path that I am called to follow and the purpose of my freedom is to know him and delight him. It's one thing to be freed, right? To be saved, to be rescued. But it's another thing to live free. In in theology, we would call this uh, your justification, being freed, and then your sanctification, how you live free. 
And so it's to make this decision every day that I'm going to follow this path of my freedom. To know this God and to live it out. To cling to his word and to let his word speak, speak over me. And we say it like this as a church. To speak his truth in love. Our second value, to speak his truth in love. And there's, there's things that we highlight as important as a passage in, in Ephesians, to speak his truth in love. But that, that's the reason as a church we primarily teach verse by verse, that we value the word of God. Because we want you to look at a passage and see what it says, and we can agree with it together. And if I say something crazy, you can tell me later, the Bible didn't say that, you made that up, man, right? Because the word of God is, is intended to help us walk that path of freedom. And Jesus, that's the reason we were created, to know him and to walk that path with him. It's like you're on a journey, and walking that journey along with Jesus determines if you live free. Speak the truth in love. We don't take the truth in order to beat people over the head with it. We understand God gave us the truth to serve us, to lift us up in him, to bless our lives, that this word could free us in knowing our Lord, and we can walk free through it. Last is this. Living free is intended for community. Notice when Jesus is saying this, he's saying this not to a person, but to a group. To the Jews, it says in the beginning. If you are my disciples, it says at the end of verse 30, 31. And he says, if you continue in my word, the Strong's Concordance for the King James Version says that this word you, if you continue in my word, that word you is actually an irregular plural word. And so what it's saying to us is this you is, is more like y'all, right? So he's talking to a community. And so when we, we think about being free, what Jesus' ultimate desire for us is not just to think about this in an individual form, but, but this freedom is intended for community that we do this together in order to bless one another. I mean, you think about what it, what it is to live life. Live life by yourself is hard enough, right? Living life isolated, I would say it's impossible because you're created for relationship. Relationship with God, relationship with others. That's why Jesus says, love God, love others. God, God creates us for community. And so, so this is one of the things that we think is important as a church. It re- really creates two values for us that we highlight. But but I just want to say it as one. I'll tell you the two. If I, if I just categorize it as one, I, I would say it like this. No one goes alone. If I said at ABC, when you come in in the morning, what's important to us is to understand, guys, we don't want anyone going alone. Which says everyone plays a role then in how we interact as a community, whether someone belongs to our, our community or not. No one, no one goes at this alone. That's why we say, if as a church, we have two values that relates to this. One for those that aren't yet in our community that may participate and those that belong to our community. We say for, for everyone that comes through our doors, our job, our goal, because we know Jesus, we want to walk with him. We understand the value of community that he calls every tribe, tongue, language to belong to him is that we feel the calling to care for every soul. Every soul that comes through our door is important to us because every soul is made in the image of God and every soul needs to know their intrinsic worth and every soul needs to know there is a God who is pursuing them to set them free and that is the purpose for which they were designed and when they know this God, then in walking with this God, that is the first time in their life they are truly living what freedom is because just like a plane driving on the road, you are not free until you connect to the one who created you for his purpose. And in him, you find freedom. Every soul, every soul that comes through our door matters, which means every person here, every person here preaches a sermon every Sunday. 
we communicate the value of a human being the way Jesus sees them, the moment we start to interact with someone, the minute their car arrives in our parking lot. Every soul matters. And the second is this, that valuable to us as far as human relationship, we say, be devoted to one another. Devoted to one another. When you read in the book of Acts chapter two, what you see in the early church, it says they were devoted to one another day by day, breaking bread, and the Lord was adding to their numbers uh, those who were being saved. The beauty of the early church, they were devoted to one another. And what I mean is this, guys, Sunday isn't just something that we should do at the end of our week. It should be the highlight to, the, to our identity for the beginning of our week. This matters more than anything because this sets the precedent for how we live free come tomorrow morning. And our devotion to one another to walk that path is so important. It's so important because it's so easy by yourself to get lost in the crowd, to lose perspective, to put your eyes on something else and to try to find your value in something that you think might free you but really put you in bondage. Relationships, relationships play an important part of that. You're living free when you're living the purpose you're made. You're made for relationship with God. It's not just about being freed in the land of the free and the home of the brave. (laughs) But it's about living free. Do you know him? Are you walking that path with him? Do you seek him in his word? And are you encouraging your community to do it together? This message has been brought to you by Alpine Bible Church in Lehigh, Utah. If you'd like more information, please visit us online at alpinebible.com.